Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Missio Day's service once again. We're so glad that you decided to join us. Uh, we are in a series, in a series of James, and we've been preaching in that the last couple of weeks. Um, and for those that haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, there's a quick update on who James is. James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, he was a skeptic of Jesus, and then after the resurrection, became a full-fledged follower of Jesus and actually became a leader in the Jerusalem church. Gave up his life uh, for the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and uh, died a persecuted death um, <clears throat> uh, because of those beliefs. So he writes this letter. It's a really extremely practical letter, straightforward. I, I love that about James. It's like, do these things. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to, to follow Jesus. Um, and so we're invited into this. I invite you into this today. The passage today is focused on favoritism. It comes from James 2, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read that for us as we begin. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he, said, for he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So as I was thinking about favoritism today, the first thing that popped in my mind is that person, and maybe we all know a person like this, that you can be in a group of, uh, you know, 10 people or 100 people, and they are looking for the most influential person in the room or the person that can help them further their career or, or get something from them. Um, so they could be in a conversation with you, and it feels like they're not even present because they're, they're, they're looking around. They're trying to find the, the person that can help them, the person that can um, get them further along in their life or where they want to go. And uh, it's kind of frustrating, right, to be around someone like that. So we can see how people show favoritism to those that are successful or wealthy or influential in simple ways like that. But that's sort of expected in, in the world that we live in. Um, that's sort of the, the, 
the, the way that we're taught to approach things. And sometimes it's not bad. You know, we, we do need to network in order to find a new job at times. We do need to network in order to uh, take a new career step, in order to uh, find someone that can help us get the job that we really desire or um, get to know someone that, that we really need to know in order to, to do whatever we're trying to do is. And so there's times for networking. But I think what, what James is speaking about here is this kind of... Uh, within the church, but in the larger culture as well as, as kind of dismissing other people in order to focus in on those that can help us, those that, that have that privilege, that have that success, that have the money that we desire. In fact, I read an article just this week that said, if you want to be more successful, if you want to have influence, if you want to have wealth, then you need to actually hang out with people that are more influential, more wealthy, more successful than you are. And, I, and, and it kind of made me feel icky inside reading that article, but it's true. I mean, the wealthy, the rich, the powerful, all the people that have the ability to change your life and give you more of those things. And so uh, when we talk about this um, area of, of this idea of favoritism, it does actually play out in everyday life. It especially can play out um, even in the church. So let me define favoritism, and then we'll get to what James in particular is speaking about in this passage in his time Favoritism, or some people are, uh, translate it partiality, means that you base your treatment of someone or your attitude towards someone on something that should not be the basis of how you treat them. So you're using something that's, um, it could be their race, it could be their, uh, their power, it could be their wealth, um, as a means to judge that person and show partiality towards them based on if it fits the group of people or the type of person that you want to be around. And so James states it very, very succinctly. He, he starts it off pretty strong. And he basically says, because you believe in Jesus, favoritism is forbidden. And I want you to hear those words because it's really important. There, this means that there is something inherent within the very nature of faith in Jesus that demands equality. Favoritism towards someone else contradicts your faith in Jesus. In the context that James is writing, the way that this was playing out was that wealthy people would walk into their meeting, their gatherings, and they'd be given a place of honor. The poor person that was possibly sitting in that seat would be told, hey, you need to sit on the ground now or you need to go sit in the back of the room because this person of importance is now in our midst. James has to be so confused by this. I mean, James grew up poor himself. Joseph, his father, was a carpenter. Even Jesus, the one that they are proclaiming that they worship as the Messiah, grew up as a refugee, a day laborer, as a construction worker, uh, that, that he was part of an oppressed people uh, who ultimately was killed by the powers in society. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. And yet, for some reason, in these gatherings, early on after Jesus' resurrection, Priorities being given to the wealthy over people that would be more like Jesus in a lot of ways. So James gives three reasons why we shouldn't show favoritism. And the first, he says, is because you believe in the glorious Lord Jesus. A lot of times we like to think of Jesus as 
um, our friend or as our counselor, as someone that um, is, and, and think of it in his very human qualities, right, of like f- being fully man. And that's really important and so vital to understand in order to grasp who Jesus is. But James is drawing us to the glory of Jesus here. The Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all dominion and power and authority across the whole world. He's pleading with us to see Jesus as holy and righteous and king, this this loving king who demands our affection, the one who came and died and conquered sin and death and Satan. And so that calling on our life, what it does is when we see Jesus in that glorious state and we remember who Jesus is, it's humbling to us. And we begin to recognize in comparison to Jesus, we're all essentially beggars before the cross. We're all in need of Jesus' love. We're not better than anybody else in the room. Faith in Jesus demands that we can't discriminate against other people. The second reason that he gives is that the poor are lifted up in God's economy. It says in the passage, those that are poor in the eyes of the world are chosen by God to be rich in faith and inheritors of the kingdom. I've witnessed this. I'm telling you, in at Missio Day Uptown, I have I don't have any scientific studies to, to back all of this up. But I'm telling you, those that are wealthy, that have experienced suffering and pain in their life, those that, that have kind of had uh, privilege in their reality, those that go through hard times are more quickly, are more likely to uh, give up on their faith or to struggle through that situation than somebody who is poor, where their faith actually can grow in the midst of suffering because it's been their reality for much of their lives. They are rich. And gotta, I mean, the other thing is that you see in generosity, where a wealthy will give a portion of what they, they make to uh, charities and to the church. Uh, poor people are much more generous. They're willing to give a, very, a great deal of what they have to anyone who needs it at any time. I mean, I've watched this happen over and over again. It's not surprising that, it, that he d- declares in this passage, they are the inheritors of the kingdom. They're chosen to inherit the kingdom and as examples of faith. And this is really what um, Gustavo Gutierrez, who was a professor at Notre Dame for a long time and wrote a book called A Theology of Liberation, argues. He asserts this principle, this idea in both the Old Testament and New Testament that claims that there is a preferential, there, there is this deep concern for the physical and spiritual welfare of the poor that is an essential element of the gospel. Now, that may seem confusing, like God's showing favoritism towards the poor. No, but I, I don't think it, what, it, what, what we're meaning by when we say that is that somehow poor people are better than rich people or that, that we're not all somehow made in the image of God and equal before God. But what they're saying is in the scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are countless examples of the poor being oppressed, of the poor being dismissed, of t- being taken advantage of of being cast to the side, of not experiencing the same equality as those that have power and had wealth in that period. And so in some ways, you could honestly say in the scriptures, they would say, uh, because of the situation and the context that they are in, poor lives matter. Like that's what Gutierrez is saying in his book, that Jesus is lifting up the poor. And so that's why we as a church can say, even now, like black lives matter, not because we're saying black lives are more important than everybody else's lives, but we're saying that they have never been treated like everybody else. They've always been pushed to the side. They've always been discriminated against. They've always been dismissed. They've always been 
on the side of oppression for centuries. And because of that, you can't say all lives matter unless the black lives matter as much as everyone else's. And so that's what essentially James is saying, is that the poor are being lifted up. They're always pressed down, but here in the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that they're being lifted up. So the good news of Jesus literally breaks down our worldview of those who deserve attention, acclaim, privilege, and love. And the third reason he says that we should not show favoritism is because it's the rich ones who are mistreating you. He says in this passage, aren't those with power the ones oppressing you? Isn't the wealthy, aren't the wealthy the ones dragging you into court? Isn't it the educated and sophisticated that are slandering the name of Jesus? Why are we giving these people the seats of honor in our gatherings when they're the ones that are mistreating you? mistreating the name of Jesus. So instead of showing favoritism, James gives us a new way. He says, instead, we are called to follow the royal law, which says to love your neighbor as yourself. Secondly, he goes on to say so that we need to speak and act like those are who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. This means that we have been set free from sin's condemnation and dominion by Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. And therefore, we live in freedom. We live in liberty. And in this liberty, there is a law. And that law is the law of liberty. That is the law of love. And we will be judged based on how we love other people. And so in James's context, favoritism is being shown to the, to the wealthy as opposed to the poor. And I think we need to hear that. But it could be any variety of reasons that we show favoritism. It could be favoritism based off of, of race. It could be favoritism based off of just people being like us or the, having similar interests. And so we cast other people to the side. And I, I want to finish our time by talking about the uniqueness of Christianity by this statement. Now, probably most of you, you hear this talk on favoritism, you say, of course I agree with all those things. Of course we should treat people the same. Of course we should lift up those that are on the margins. Of course we should um, care about people that have been mis mistreated. Of course we shouldn't uh, you know, lift up the, the, the rich as a, and, and cast aside those that are poor in our midst. But I would just say that this is not actually that common of a worldview. Now, people may hold to it, but they don't maybe know why they hold to it. My point is to say this. In the first century, for James to declare that we shouldn't show favoritism, that would be very subversive in the first century, where, where, where there were slaves and free people in their midst. There were rich and poor. There were Jews and Greeks. There were Roman citizens and people of an oppressed nation and people group all coming together in this church, this, this house, this gathering. And you can imagine that type of statement where everywhere else in society, the rich people were given favor, the rich people were given privilege, the powerful people or the people with the right nationality or the right race were given privileges that others were not. How controversial this would be. But even in our 21st century where we would generally all agree that people are equal, we still see that this doesn't match up with most people's worldviews if they were actually to play them out. Let's say that you held to like a pure evolutionary theory. And that theory, like if you're an, an atheist and hold to this um, you know, vision of, of, of the world, the rich guy winning and the poor guy losing is just natural selection. It's just part of the way the world works. 
So if you start, if a person that believes that start using the terms like discrimination or favoritism or prejudice, I mean, they really shouldn't use those terms because they don't, their worldview tells them that they shouldn't care about those things. I know I would love to be able to tell my kids when they say, it's not fair, that just say, oh, hey, it's just part of natural selection, right? You just have to deal with it. But there's other worldviews as well, like hedonism, like, which is the idea that you're trying to seek out as much pleasure as you possibly can in your life. But if that were your goal, if that were the result of your worldview, then why would you care if people were being shown favor and others weren't? Even the, the view of karma, people talk about karma all the time, but if you play out the logical conclusions of karma, the idea is that if you do good things, you'll receive good things. If you do bad things, you receive bad things, right? The universe will reward you based on your behavior. So if someone's being mistreated, if someone's being hurt, if someone's experienced suffering and pain in their lives, that is the result of their bad behavior in this life or in previous lives. In the same way, if you are wealthy and influential and powerful um, and good things are happening to you in your life, that is a result of your good behavior in this life or in previous lives. And so it's coming back to, to you in that, that way. You are getting what you earn in a sense. And so this idea of favoritism wouldn't concern you if you believe in karma. I mean, you should treat people well so that you can continue to be treated well, but you don't really, like you're kind of in your mindset saying this is what people actually deserve because of the way that they've acted in the past. Even our political affiliation can get to the point where we would show favoritism to those that believe what we believe about the way that the government should run. We're naturally drawn to certain people, and that's okay to have those friendships. But I want to challenge us today that the, the body of Christ needs to be slightly different. Not slightly different, a lot different than the world. And I think Christianity has failed this. I mean, I can't tell you how many churches I know that based on their biggest donors uh, take certain actions as a church. Like, if, if someone is willing to give enough money, they will get what they want in a lot of places. And just how can that be? Like, how can we live in a reality where we believe in the glorious Lord Jesus and show favoritism to someone just because they have deep pocketbooks? But it just shows where our priorities often lie. And I would just say that when I think about just, if I just take the example of rich and poor for a minute, you can talk about Christianity's failure and showing favoritism just at that level as the example that James gives us today. And I think there's a systemic level of failure beyond just a personal level on Sunday mornings when we show up of ignoring people or showing favoritism towards people like us. In many of our churches, we don't even have the possibility of showing favoritism to people that are rich in the way that James described, because uh, we have created churches of people that think like us, that talk like us, that act like us, that have exactly what that we have. We have these like monocultural churches where everyone's exactly the same, and therefore we couldn't even show favoritism towards the wealthy because we're all wealthy, we're all upper middle class, we're all the same. How sad is that? There's that, like, that, that here we have this church in the, the first century that's gathering people from every walk of life, uh, every race available in the region at that time, you know, people with all different nationalities, and they're having to work this out in real time, and that's why James wrote this letter. But most of us, we exist in churches that don't have any of that push and pull, any of those uh, opportunities to even show favoritism. So there's a system, systemic failure. Because our, we don't even have people that we could show favoritism towards uh, as opposed to others in our midst because our churches 
don't look the way that the first century churches looked. So that's the systemic side that I think so often the church fails in, is that we don't even have the diversity of people in our midst uh, to experience what the church uh, in Jerusalem is experiencing that James is writing to. So there's a, but there's also an individual level. And uh, I know we're not gathering as churches right now, so it's really hard to practice this, but even in our own small gatherings of church or in our own lives, and when we get back to coming to church, uh, I think there's a level where we need to go even deeper than just worrying about where people sit um, or whether or not we have the right diversity on the stage. But there's a level where we individually have to be able to step out of our spaces where we're just around people that are like us or that we feel comfortable with or believe exactly the same thing that we believe and cross the aisle and enter into like these new relationships and new stories. I want to end with this story from a youth group, the youth group that I led years ago. Um, there was a young boy, he was a freshman in high school and he started coming to our youth group. Uh, he was autistic, he was pretty high functioning autistic, but um, he you know, he had some pretty difficult social interactions where he would be very aggressive, he would say inappropriate things, um, he, would, he would just do all sorts of things that made people pretty uncomfortable initially when, when he showed up. And so there was this level of the, these, these boys that were his age, and we did kind of small groups based on age group, where he was tolerated, right? I mean, he was there, and he was part of it, and sometimes they were laughing at him, sometimes they were picking on him or egging him on, sometimes they uh, were ignoring him or just like trying to, to deal with the situation, but he was allowed to be there without them, you know, really making him feel terrible. But what was amazing and what I, I really believe what we're talking about here, when we think thinking about like honoring people, it's like the opposite of favoritism, I think, is just like not just like acceptance or equality, it's like actually truly valuing somebody else. And so these teenage boys began to not just tolerate him, but to invite him into their friend group. So as before, like, yeah, they would deal with him at church. Now he was invited to the people's houses. He was invited to the parties. He was at the sleepovers. He was at the individual events. And he didn't pursue it himself. He was invited in because he wasn't just somebody that they dealt with or they felt bad for. That it was, He was somebody that they valued. They valued his opinion. They valued his life. They valued what he brought to their friend group as someone that was truly equal and truly honored in that space. And what if we as individuals, no matter where we are in life, if we're poor or rich, uh, you know, wh whatever situation we are at, we're willing to cross the aisle like that and not just tolerate other people and not just do the polite thing about giving people the right seats or trying to find some like correct diversity on a church leadership team. But what if we were willing to invite people into our lives and we didn't get to the point where, hey, I'm equal with you, but that I, I love you and I honor you and I want you to be in my life. I want you to speak into my life. I want you to be my friend. And I think that that on the individual level is where it really changes the game. It moves beyond just this, the, the, the simple notions of trying to treat people kindly and actually honoring people for who they are as image bearers of Jesus Christ. Would you step into that with me as a church body? Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.